You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig. He's Logan. And we have a game to get ready for coming up this weekend. Lions, well, they're hosting their second home game of the season. Of course, the Commanders are there. That's what we're talking about on this here Take Command podcast. And Logan, it was an interesting uh, game to go back and watch Detroit-Philly because Philly runs such unique offense. It was nice, though, because, well, now now I feel like I'm already started on my prep for next week because uh, the Eagles, of course, <laughs> are next on the Commander's schedule. Uh, but let's uh, let's dive straight into this preview. Let's start with when the commander's offense is on the field and, and what you saw from Detroit defensively. Um, and, and also, I know you went back and watched a little bit of last year because one of yeah. the things that I noticed in watching back the game is like that Eagles offense is, is basically wholly unique in the NFL with how they run the football, the frequency with which they run it, and especially how much they use Jalen Hurts. And while Carson, I think there is some carryover between their sure. games, uh, it's certainly going to be a different defensive game plan what Detroit tries to do against Washington. Yeah, I think the thing when you watch a game like that, <clears throat> excuse me, is, um, you know, you get a lot of formational tells, kind of like how they want to line up to certain things. But even that is somewhat skewed because you can't, you can't, you have to account for the quarterback as a rusher. So obviously, like structurally, there's some very, very high-level stuff you can glean from that game. But I think when you go back and watch, I watched the Arizona game, watched some of the Atlanta game from last year. And the reason I picked those games is because they kind of operate in similar sets to what um, Washington does, right? They have like kind of, they do a lot of 11 personnel. They do some run game stuff out of 12, which they like, a lot of jet sweep, just to kind of see how they're going to match. And I think the thing that stuck out to me is, it felt very New Orleans-esque. You know what I mean? Um, this guy, the defensive coordinator, um, Aaron something, Aaron Glenn is from <clears throat> is from the New Orleans tree. So there's like this cover three structure with a little bit of game plan kind of coverages sprinkled in. So like kind of based on what they've seen, like they might tweak one call, but you know, at their core, they're a cover three team. They really rely on their, their, um, their, their corners to be excellent in that situation. Their defensive line is usually pretty good. Think about New Orleans, you know, Cam Jordan, that type of stuff. And then they get really, 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 really lots of really spicy on third down, like extremely spicy on third down. So, you know, I think last week Carson and the team did a very good job of staying out of third downs versus Jacksonville for the most part and executed when, when they were there. It is a, I don't want to say a must, but it's as close to a must as you can get against a team because this is going to get crazy. They double A's, guys dropping out, guys coming off the edge. There's only so many patterns you can run, but I feel like in the game I watched against Arizona, and now Arizona is maybe unique because that's Kyler Murray. That's a way to kind of get to him. But holy cow, they were very, very aggressive, very, very dynamic, and um, they do a lot of weird stuff on third down. Even against Philly, they, they did some weird stuff on third down in terms of fronts, you know, overloading fronts, 
getting uh, trying to get Hutchinson in a good spot to kind of on a guard or a tackle in a one-on-one situation. Uh, but, but yeah, so to me right now, the key for the offense is stay out of third down or stay out of third down as, as often as you can, because man, it's going to, that's going to make the game very, very challenging um, just from a preparation standpoint. Yeah, they're going to definitely throw a lot. I, I think when you look at what worked for Philadelphia last week, and obviously they put up 38 points, um, you know, Jalen, the first couple of drives of the game, I mean, the first drive of the game, they moved the ball a little bit and I don't think had a completion. Jalen Jalen caught a rhythm starting in the second drive uh, when they scored their first touchdown, but like he just ran it. And yeah. like the, the, his ability to break contain uh, either, you know, one design runs and then, you know, on pass plays, break contain, get out and they convert a third and 15 where he just scrambles and he gets it. And that's not going to be in play for, for Washington. But one thing that I do think they were able to do well last week, and obviously the threat of Jalen's running enhances this so much, but uh, they ran RPO pretty successfully. And I look at Terry and say, like, all right, where where can he get more touches uh, than the four targets he got last week? And he's a really really good slant runner, uh, big body, good hands. If he's, he you know he'll break a tackle and, and be able to keep running, and that's what AJ Brown did uh, to right. massive success last week. How repeatable is that part of the game plan? Do you think for Washington, considering Carson, we also know likes the RPO game, even if he's not going to pull sure. and run it, like. RPO doesn't have to be a quarterback run. Like the threat of the run comes from the handoff. So, and then it's a matter of reading it. If the linebacker plays up, you pull it, throw behind him. If he doesn't, then then you just hand the ball off. So, is that something you would anticipate being a heavy part of the game plan? And hopefully, a way to get Terry more touches uh, if they bite on the run. I mean, it is a big part of the commander's offense anyway, you know, regardless. Like, that's what, how they like to do a lot of their runs. They like to have an RPO element to it. And I think it's smart, you know, especially a quarterback who can make decisions. And Carson's shown an ability to do that. I, I will say a lot of Philly's success comes from the fact that Jalen Hurst can run. Because you just, just think about it numerically, right? If you're playing a six-man box versus a six-man running surface, or usually you would play plus one to stop the run you need to play like another one because then you need to account for the quarterback and it just opens up all of these different coverage opportunity or the, you know, these ways to manipulate coverage. Right. So like you were mentioning uh, AJ Brown, right? So one of the things that stuck out to me is they're running this kind of RPO zone read look heavy play action. And it's like drift city and it looks like a slant kind of right. But like that right. is open in the middle of the field because of the action, because the quarterback has to run because you have to have so many bodies allocated there. So whatever they did from a running the football standpoint is going to be uniquely Philly. And the other thing about Philly that's really unique is that offensive line is a bunch of juggernauts, man. I don't. It's hard for me to envision a better group in the NFL than Philly. I know they had an injury, but even the backup guy comes in. He's a good run blocker, struggle a bit in pass protection, but like that, that is who they are. They've built that team kind of by accident into one of the best blocking units in the NFL in terms of blocking runs, blocking the runs they want to run. And again, having Hurts in the backfield makes it really different. So not only does that affect how they run the football, but also affects how they throw the football. I think that's a really important point to point out, right? So I think I think it's it'd be really tempting to say, oh, Philly had a lot of success. Let's try to lean into some of this. And I think they will. But I think it's important to say, what made us successful? How do we get our numbers advantage? How do we stress the defense? And so I think back to what they did week one, you know, using Curtis Samuel as a decoy. That's another way to kind of open up that drift spot, right? You fake a jet sweep. The guy, the defender to that side, the force player, the safety has to step up to match that. Maybe work something in behind it. Work a play action off that. Work a play action off of, you know, a counter. They ran that a whole bunch last week. So finding ways to to kind of exploit that in the context of your offense based on what they did, right? And there's ways to do it. 
just got to think about it a little bit more acutely. A great example of that is um, L.A., for example, right? They don't have a running quarterback. And two years ago, they started this jet sweep where every single play had a jet sweep action on it. And when they first started doing it, defenses were like, well, we have to allocate bodies to this just sweep action. And it helps with the play pass. It helps with your run game. So what's our what's this team's wrinkle last week? I think it was the RPO with a little bit of jet sweep. Maybe it's something different this week. But I definitely think Curtis Samuel will be an element of that. Yeah. How does when Samuel shifts into the backfield affect the numbers, too? Can they get something similar to some of that effect? Or is, you know, like obviously you know, if he's back there, the quarterback is still a non-accounted for player. So sure. the numbers don't work exactly the same, but like well, how, how does that work to potentially open up that drift and, and, and get some of the same reactions out of Detroit's defense and open up Jahan, Terry, and whoever else is running, running the slants in behind. Well, I did a breakdown on, on that for Wednesday's take command. And I think the thing that stood out to me about it is like, I, I never understood what the value was of bringing a, a receiver. Cause like, why not just keep your run count the same, but when they motioned, uh, they did it twice, when they motioned Curtis into the backfield, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, maybe this was just not having prepped it, but they kept the coverage player outside of the box as an overhang player, right? So the the run front stayed at six men, even though you've brought a seventh man into the box. So again, if Gibson can block anybody, like fall down and cut somebody or just kind of, you know, whatever, be a decoy. Be some, in the way. You are plus you're plus, which is very, very rare from a run game standpoint. So the fact that that's how they respond, I, I would expect Detroit not to do that. I, I think they showed enough of Curtis Samuel in the backfield. Now, if they if they do do that, let's say they match numbers-wise, that's an advantage for Washington also because Curtis Samuels can run a choice from the backfield, right? I think that's why they kept the safety in the overhang position because you think he's going to motion back and then run a choice route and you want a good coverage player there. Let's say Detroit says, screw that, they hurt you know, Curtis hurt uh, Jacksonville as a rusher. Let's match him in the box. Again, that speaks to an advantage for Washington. And now it just depends on can Scott Turner kind of be one step ahead in terms of playing chess and uh, playing chess versus checkers. And I think he can because he showed a nice ability to do that. But that is, again, it's a great point by you. That's an advantage of having that person in the uh, uh, Curtis Samuel in the backfield on your team because it does make those decisions a little bit harder for defenses, which is something that I guess, you know, to be totally frank, I undervalued when I was thinking about his impact on this offense. Yeah. Playing those number of games is, is huge. I mean, it is in many ways, the key to successful offenses is getting yourself the advantage before the snap and having your quarterback know it because it makes the decision making yeah. process a lot easier for him. All right. Taking away some of this like very specific RPO, which, you know, again, it should be a part of their game plan and potentially a big part of their game plan. Uh, this weekend, but like, if if you just kind of take more of a blank slate approach, yeah, where where would you attack? Where would you avoid on this Lions defense if you're Washington? Well, I think like with any team in the NFL, they're having a little bit of struggle at linebacker. They have a young player, uh, Rodriguez, I think is his name, number forty four. Rod- See, this is why you, you needed to watch Hard Knocks. We would know all about Malcolm Rodriguez, aka Rodrigo. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't. This is, I got to watch him. He's a good football player. Yeah, very assignment sound. But he's a rookie. Uh, Alonzo's the other guy they have back there. I think he's coming off of an injury. Got nicked up in the game a little bit. But that's the level of the defense that I'm trying to attack always. I just think that they are in the worst spot to match up, right? I think you get a lot of your cover three beaters, which is excellent. Because at least to my eye, a lot of what this offense does well is attack cover three. So I think that you should expect cover three. You should attack cover three, which is what this offense, at least conceptually what I've seen so far, seems to have a lot of stuff in that does well in that department. And I think the linebackers are 
I think Rodriguez is a good football player, but he's young. So give him a lot of stimulus. Let's see if we can get Gibson in one-on-one situations with him. Test their rules. I guarantee you they'll coverage bust, right? And I don't think their defensive line, I think there's some talented pieces there. Like McNillis is an interesting kind of run-stopping player. Hutchinson obviously has got some talent. Um, but it it was underwhelming. Now, is it underwhelming because they played Philadelphia and Philadelphia is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL? Probably. Is it underwhelming because they do so much zone read and RPO that it kind of makes that group inert? Also probably. But again, like it wasn't like, oh my gosh, they've got this monster over there, Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa. It was like, this is a good football player, but definitely manageable. So I'd say do what you did last week, run the football, find ways to get that middle linebacker, though that linebacking core unsettled and find matchups against that group. And I think a lot of that cover three stuff is going to be really good for you. Now, like I said, they run a little bit more cover two than like Jacksonville does, for example. But if they're running cover two, you should run the football. You know what I mean? Like, like find a way yeah. to kind of get them out of their key, like their sink, their keys. And I, so that that's kind of my thousand foot view on the game plan as of right now. I would I would expect to be cover three, attack the linebackers, and I'm not overly concerned about the defensive line pass rush. Hudson did so some twitch and some flash, but I definitely think it's like a manageable type of player if that makes sense. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he matches up. Because, I mean, he had a couple monster drives in the preseason where he looked phenomenal. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he's a good player. The second break. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if Cosme can handle him, Leno can handle him, because they'll move him around a little bit probably. You know, if those guys can handle him one-on-one, then, you know, that makes your life a lot easier. If all of a sudden you have to chip and, you know, leave tight end, leave running back in, it takes away some of those weapons and some of those guys that you want to attack those linebackers with, especially, you know, again, tight ends and linebackers or tight ends and running backs in those one-on-one matchups or just at the very least in the middle of the field. I'm also curious to see if they have any more, like, for lack of a better word, tricks up their sleeve. Like, mm. you know, last week they have the screen to Armani. They, they do that kind of stuff. And, like, Diami Brown doesn't play at all. Do you try to dial up a deep shot for Diami since he didn't play at all? And, you know, you may be able to slip him in, you know, underneath. You know, what, other, what else do you have for Jahan? What else do you have for Terry? Obviously, we saw a lot of the bag with Curtis last week, but there, there's still going to be more. And Curtis is just tough to defend in general. Like, that's, yeah. that's the thing about Samuel that I think is, is underappreciated and why they, like, this is what they had in mind when they signed him was a guy who can not only just play wide receiver, but could legitimately in a pinch play running back. And so getting him those carries, getting him those touches, getting him uh, on the move, jet sweep action, like that's going to happen every single game. And and watching how defenses react to it is going to help dictate where the ball goes elsewhere. But like step one in a lot of way is what they do with Samuel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, like he's he's a big cog, right? You know, you have all these weapons. I think Samuel, Gibson, McKissick to a certain extent, I think all of those pieces are going to be very, very critical Um, in terms of finding those mismatches, right? I think if, you know, they do play an extra linebacker versus 12 personnel, can you get Logan Thomas or Armani matched up against that that kind of extra cover player in that position or that extra kind of run player in that position? And I guarantee you, Logan, Armani, even Bates can probably win that matchup. So again, like that's where, again, we talked about this on, on our last show. Can Scott Turner stay innovative while still keeping his offensive identity? And that becomes a really big question, I think, um, and kind of maybe the most important question going into this game because, you know, he, he showed tremendous talent early in the game, but then they kind of normalized back to something resembling more of an NFL offense, right? So can you still push that envelope? Can you find those little things to kind of give you an edge formationally, personnel-wise, conceptually, right? Um, 
And uh, and you just mentioned a couple of guys that I think are, are key to that, right? You know, we didn't talk about Terry or Jahan, but those guys kind of play outside. They're your traditional pieces. Those people on the on the in uh, that were operate on the interior are more of your kind of chess pieces where you find those mismatches, quite frankly. So again, right. yeah, use, using those parts uh, successfully. By the way, fun matchup on the outside: Terry versus Okuda. Those two guys at yeah. Ohio State together, so they know each other pretty well. And he's playing practicing. better right now. He, he yeah. played. He played a, like he didn't play great, but he had a solid game. And then I think another guy you like we we haven't really talked about is the guy in the uh, their safety who got ejected is Tracy Walker the third. Yeah. That guy, he was he had thirteen tackles tackle for loss and a sack like playing safety so again that's a guy to kind of keep an eye on in terms of being like i think everyone thinks of hutchinson as a playmaker but he's a guy who's definitely making plays in that defense what where should like the aggressiveness meter be ratcheted up to like is this a team that you feel confident that the commanders can put together long drives against and and they will mess up before the commanders do or do they need to try to take some shots because this defense is going to be really sound and, and ultimately like they won't beat themselves I think it's hard to say. It's hard to know exactly. And the reason I say that is because what they showed against Philly is not who this defense is, right? I think they're much more, I think they're much better coached than that. And I think they're much more physical. They're much, they, they, to me, this team, I've never seen a team that kind of resembles their coach's personality more than Detroit. Like when you watch them offensively, it's like very Dan Campbell. When you watch them defensively, you can tell there's that, that, that kind of grind and grit, which makes me think, that this is going to be a much tougher matchup for this team, right? Those mistakes that Jacksonville gave you, jumping off sides, the, the penalties, I don't think are going to be there. So you are going to offensively have to kind of be consistent, be well-coached, be disciplined, and and execute, right? Like there was a couple times in the game where Carson's missed some open throws. I think those throws come back to bite you in the butt against this team because I just think they're – I think this team is better. They're just yeah. better coached. They're, they're where they're supposed to be. They play with an edge that that I like. I think this is a different Detroit than a lot of fans might have been expecting coming coming from the offseason. Like this is a matchup that I think is very very sneaky and it's going to be very very challenging. Like like the Commanders are going to feel this game offensively and defensively when this is over because of the the roster that they built there. Yeah, and look, they're favored. Like Detroit is favored by a point yeah. and a half in this game. You know, obviously Vegas uh, typically gives a home field advantage. Uh, typically that is three points, which tells you that they think the commanders are a little better if they played on a neutral field, but not by much. And and with the home field advantage, the other advantage, you know, they have is like the inherent mental advantage of desperation. Like sure. the commanders feel probably pretty good about that that performance. They're one and zero on the year. Uh, they know they got a huge division game coming up. They're getting asked about what would it mean to go two and zero, and the Lions are like, "Hell no, we're not doing this again. We are not right. going to be a team that that is flirting with zero and sixteen like we were last year uh, until I think they didn't win a game till at least November, if not December." Um, but they kept fighting, which, by the way, is a tribute to Campbell. But they yeah. don't want to go 0-2. Like, they think they can be good. And they know if they're 0-2, that's a hole they don't want to be in. So they're going to come out, you know, scratch, claw, fight. I'll insert your cliche here. But, like, right. that inherent desperation is an advantage for Detroit uh, that you can certainly speak to as someone who who was on teams that went 1-0 or on teams that were 0-1 far more than me as someone who talks about them. Yeah, and I, and I also want to point out that I think this offense is more talented than Detroit. Right? Does that make sense? Like they're more talented a, than Jack. Like yeah, the more, Detroit's it, more the, talented than Jacksonville. No, no, no. Like this, like the Commanders' offense is more talented oh, okay. than the Detroit. Detroit defense. defense. Like, gotcha. This is an advantage. I want to make it clear that I think this is an advantage for this team. But 
if you look back and watch the film, which I've done like more than I care to admit at this point, there Jacksonville helped them out. Can this group operate at a high level of efficiency for the whole game? Because that's what this this defense is going to demand, right? That's what they do in New Orleans. That's the same philosophy. They're going to make you execute in tough situations. And again, I think I want to see that. Can Scott Turner bring that out of them? Can Carson bring that out of them? And I, I think that's why this is a really interesting litmus test for this group because they are more talented. They should win. The receivers are better. The skill guys are better. The matchup players are better. The O-line is probably, if not better, I'd say better than the defensive line, right? This should be a, a favorable matchup. But can they handle adversity? Can they push through it? And can they get? Can they turn this to be enough of an advantage that they can compensate a little bit for maybe a lackluster, lackluster performance by the defense? So a uh, fun fun connections uh, real quick before we flip the field and talk about the commander's defense against this Detroit offense. Uh, two guys that have Washington connections on the Detroit staff. Uh, Aubrey Pleasant was here for a long time. Oh, yeah. Aubrey is the uh, assistant DB's coach. And then I did not realize this until I was watching the game back and saw him on the sideline with a headset and then went back and looked it up. But Sean Dion Hamilton, who was with Washington after he got drafted, uh, eventually cut and, and signed in Detroit got cut in the first round of cuts, or maybe it was the second when they went from 85 to 80. I think it was the second round of cuts. Got cut by Detroit, but they liked him so much, they're like, look, man, we think you'd be a great coach. And in Hard Knocks, there's this incredible thing. I actually would be curious if you ever had this happen when you were a player. There's a day of practice where Dan Campbell says, I'm going to be the only coach out there, and I'm only blowing the whistle. I'm only keeping the train on the tracks. Nobody's coaching. It's a players-only practice. You guys are running your own individual drills. You're running your own team drills. You're running everything. You're calling plays. You're literally doing everything. And it was really cool to watch That's that happen cool. on Hard Knocks and see how the players reacted, who steps up, you know, who organizes things. And it's a test of your leadership. It's a test of your organization. It's a test of your dedication. And the guy who stepped up to call the defensive plays for the Lions was Sean Dion Hamilton. And they cut him the next day and said, do you want to be a coach? And he said, yes. Uh, and so Sean Dion Hamilton is an assistant uh, inside linebackers coach. He's on one of the, the coaching fellowships that they give uh, through the NFL. And Sean Dion Hamilton is now on that staff for the Lions. Holy cow. First off, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like How you coaches, would have thrived in that. Like you would have, you would have been the that. OC. Well, so, I mean, I, I did that every day after practice. We'd get everybody together. We'd review the stuff from the day, all the young guys. But, I mean, to that takes some courage. That takes a lot of trust in your team by Dan there. Holy cow. So, and it was a good practice, I'm assuming, or like what yeah, happened? Yeah, they were, all the coaches were really happy with it. Gosh, that's awesome. Good well, job. The, op the offensive coaches were more happy than the defensive coaches because the offense kind of whooped them. But, like, they were happy with the structure and everything, for sure. Yeah, I mean, holy cow, though, like – that is that is I'm, I'm like blown away by that that they did that then that and that worked and that they had the maturity to do that it just speaks to that roster and that also speaks to like what he's done there in terms of cultivating leadership like i wonder where he it, got that do they, you think they do that in new orleans i i wonder i don't know um that would be a good question to ask to ask campbell um that's really i mean that's like that's my dream as a coach that's like if, if you're coaching a team is just to be like hey I'm calling the periods. You guys are taking care of everything else. And just to see if it was sharp and clean and, and what they did. Ooh, man, I'm fired up now. How they, fired how up. they coach each other up. Um, yeah, so yeah man, Sean, that's really cool. Yeah. So him, it, 
Yeah, in terms of like inside knowledge, the rosters turned over a bunch. Um, even since Sean Dion was here, nevertheless, since Aubrey left, I, I think the only guy left from Aubrey's time here is like Tress. Uh, so uh, not not a lot of advantage. I was but here with cool Aubrey, ties. so it was. It's been I a while. loved Aubrey. Aubrey's one yeah. of my favorite guy. Like one of I used to do this interview series uh, called uh, "A Conversation with a Coach on a Couch," and I think the best one I ever did was Aubrey Pleasant. Incredible stuff, dude. We should do that on the show if if they'll let us. They won't, but that'd be I, cool to get that back. Because like I, I think the I think the, I the people who the people who know stuff on the team, it's like it's not. I mean, Ron knows stuff. Obviously, it's Ron's For team. Sure, but like it's the coordinators, it's the position coaches. Like that's where you get the the detail and the minutia, and that's like where you get the really good insight on on the you roster. Do, and and I, it's also so important to like learn the backstories of those guys yeah. and and in credit to to ron uh girls you have jennifer king on staff as well yep. like what is your football story like who are your influences like if i'm interviewing you in that scenario if you're a coach like i would learn more about your relationship with kyle and like what you took yeah. from him over the years which would obviously like shape the way you see the game and you sure. start to see the identity of a team come together so it was a really cool series i got to do over the course of the year um, you know, we had McVeigh on, I think it was 2016 or 20, it had to be 2016 when I did it. Um, because Sean was gone after that. Uh, mm. so, you know, it, it was, it was a fun thing to do, uh, each year, uh, got a chance to talk to, you know, all these different coaches. The one guy, the one guy who would never do it was Bill Callahan. No, uh, that doesn't make, that doesn't surprise me at all. Actually. No. <laughs> uh, Bill was apparently not my biggest fan, uh, of you he never. No, he never, he didn't like uh, that I criticized that I thought he worked his guys too much and that's why they got hurt all the time. And I was like, well, I mean, that's not I, untrue. I have the evidence uh, by the fact that your guys get hurt all the time. So, well, he, I mean, so, okay, I know we're like way off topic here, but like, that's all right. It's a podcast. Callahan, Being Bill off topic Callahan, is uh, kind of what a podcast is for. Bill Callahan had the best ability that I've ever seen to make a bunch of badasses out of offensive linemen. And part mm -hmm. of it, was because he would just grind the ever-loving poop out of them. Just oh, every day they'd be out there 30 minutes early. Every day they'd be out there 30 minutes late. Starters are taking every single rep. And so they galvanized, and they all hated Bill. They all hated him because it was like, man, this guy sucks. And that was that was so cool. But I think the thing that where he fell down a little bit is you can do that for maybe a year, maybe two, and then you got to pull it back, right? you got to say, you're, you're together now. Now i got to start taking care of you. And he never had the switch that was like, nope. it's we. It was always grind. And like those guys, like Morgan, you talk to Brandon, you talk to Spencer Long, uh, Sean Levat, any of those guys, Trent Trent Williams, like they. That is the most imp impactful coach on their career, one hundred percent, because of what they do from a technical standpoint. But it's just you got to at some point you got to realize like they're veterans now. They're not twenty three, twenty four, twenty five years old. They need breaks you know they need a little bit of rest and so yeah fascinating case study about being able to switch your philosophy as a coach once you've kind of got that 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 thing ground down you know I never uh I never got to ask him about it because he would never agree to the interview and then when he became a head coach he was always very nice at the podium but uh word got back to me that he was not super fond of uh my takes on on such things so you well, know you, that's you are job. known for you are known for like just saying whatever you think you know it's not like not that it's like un unlike calculated but like i would be like i'd hedge a little bit I'm a, I'm a good hedger you're a guy who's less hedgy you're like trying to hit the ball out of the park i'm just trying to get on base you know? I, hey i pick my spots sometimes <laughs> when you know you're right you got to swing hard it's like if you're sitting dead red on a fastball now we're now we're in baseball now we're doing now we're doing grant and danny's now, baseball podcast we're if you're totally sitting dead right on a fastball and it comes in hot 
See ya. We're yeah. going. We're I don't going. do that. I'm hitting doubles. Yeah, you're just like, I'm going to make contact, even though it was the exact pitch that I wanted.